If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome back to In The Pink. Now, next up is a man who's played 77 times for his country. He starred in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, is a social media hero to many, and has now turned his attention to mixed martial arts. And few would bet against him doing bloody well in that too. I am, of course, talking about James Haskell. He's brash, yet compassionate, sensitive, yet outspoken. He wears his heart on his sleeve and shoots from the hip, which makes him highly entertaining to listen to. Here he is then, the big man, with the big mouth and the even bigger heart. I promise you'll love it. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr James Haskell. How are you? I'm good, really good, thank you. Yeah, really good. I am um, quite enjoy quarantine, quite happy with it. Um, I've seen the pictures. It's kind of like my, yeah, Chloe stitched me up that. Do you know what? credit to her she's absolutely done me like a kipper but that was taken about four weeks ago them series and what she does is she sits on them like you know the the dish revenge is the best dish served cold because she that was after I finished training and I was so tired after sparring and I had to go back to another session I couldn't be asked to have a trousers off so just having a sleep and I didn't realize she was recording it and then she went quiet the other day and I heard her cackling to herself and basically she completely done me on good girl I mean, I have to say, it's pretty intense, this um, self-isolation stuff. It d- does test the best of marriages, doesn't it? Bloody well, hell. I just, yeah, it is, it is interesting. I think, you know, um, Chloe and I actually do spend probably uh, an inordinate amount of time together in comparison. You know, we, we both of us don't have nine to five jobs. She's a workaholic. I'm a workaholic. We, you know, a lot of time where the difference is I would be going out and working and being um, DJing or speaking or presenting, whatever it is. Obviously, we're not doing any of that now, but I sit in my office. Chloe sits in the kitchen. You know, I, I see when we're having breakfast. I, I like a leisurely breakfast. Chloe's a lot more efficient. I start watching things on my iPad while I'm eating. It's the only time I watch TV or watch movies, and I can see her getting irritated. <laughs> but I, she's getting so stressed that, like, she's like, have you not got anything to do? I'm like, oh, it's time to close that down and leave the, uh, leave the room. Um, but I think to her, I invade her space by, by if I DJ, like I've been doing some live stream DJing and some bits and pieces, obviously I have it quite loud. So I think that can, up, you know, get into it. But pretty much we're, we're, we're really good at that. We don't really have that. We fight like cats and dogs, like any um, couple do, but driving each other mad so far, not really happened. I think you invade her space by being so massive. You just mm-hmm. take a lot of room in the house. Well, I've actually, do you know, I actually shrunk um, 
when I was in the jungle and I came back out, I was 122 kgs when I went in and I was 110 when I came out. And then I was kind of on middle of the day being about 117 again when I was training. But then because Chloe wanted me to uh, bulk up a little bit because of the training and the amount of calories, I'm now probably back up to about 119. So I've kind of got a bit bigger again, actually. But I was looking because I've, I've hurt, I hurt my arm. I tore my, my pet, um, which actually is quite a good timing with this. Um, this kind of coronavirus because I'm not sure a, I would have been able to make it to the fight or if I did, I don't know how well I'd be able to do so. Okay. God, you've opened up lots of discussion points there. I want to talk first about the, um, about that jungle experience whilst it's fresh in your mind. We were a bit worried about you at one stage, just not getting that calorie intake that you need so much. Like, how did it feel physically? Cause everyone always says that's the hardest bit. Is it? Yeah. Look, I think, um, I think sports people, or certainly myself, I didn't struggle with any aspect of that show because it was very much like a pre-season, terrible accommodation, load of people you'd never met before, doing stuff that wasn't that great, a lot of sitting around, um, but ordinarily the food was dodgy, but you'd get a lot of it. The thing with The Jungle was, A, I was very flattered to be involved in a show that gets, you know, 14 million viewers, you know, I would never be involved in anything that, that big per, per, per night, but what I struggled with was the food because a lot of the other celebrities, um, they don't, they don't normally go to a lot of hardship. You, just, you don't, you know, you don't, obviously people have problems in their lives, but you don't normally have to sit down, sit around talking, you know, people don't like bu being covered in bugs. I understand that I'd signed my life away to go on a TV show. And the very fact is you have to deal with whatever they throw at you. So a lot of them go, Oh, no, stop throwing the bugs. You're doing too much. This isn't right. It's like, guys, we, we, we signed a, a yeah. document they can do what the hell they like just relax so that didn't bother me the food issue was was hard because people who don't people in the real world and in tv and, and on general public don't know anything about nutrition so everybody goes well you know everybody's starving you know you're eating this you're eating that and they told me before i did the show that i would be getting 1200 calories a day minimum and then if i um you know, if I, uh, we, we won the challenges, it'd probably go up to about 1,700 to 2,000. Right? I said, you know what? From 4,500 down to 2,000, I could deal with that. I was able to function. When I came in and I saw the, like, the bags of rice and the thing, and I, and I actually, when I came out, I put it in the app My Fitness Power. I put them in and I put four tablespoons or teaspoons, yeah, four um, servings, or tablespoons, sorry, of rice four tablespoons of beans. That's what I was having for breakfast and for lunch, right? That's 89 calories. That is what I was having without putting the cooking on, 89 calories. So for lunch and dinner, I was having 89 calories, give or take cooking oil put in there. Say you're having 200 calories a day, right? And, and the, the so-called nutritionists on the TV show were like, you know, this is what you're having. I said, you, you, we're not having that. Don't talk to me like I'm an idiot. This is, this is not correct. So this is your life. I mean, you are. Yes. Yeah. Like, well, well, Chloe's a nutritionist. You know, she, yeah, yeah. she, she's, you know, she knows far more than I do. So I basically started off and do you know what? Cause I'm quite resilient and I just don't, don't want to ever kick up a fuss. I was eating this food and I was hungry and it got to about day eight. And obviously a lot of other people were trying to give up their food for me, but I was like, it's very polite, but an extra scrap of food, you not eating is not going to yeah. help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to help you. A and also make you look a selfish prick to the audience because they don't really understand. Hundred yeah. percent, right? Um, and it's the same stuff with um, you know they, they were saying to us about um, 
you, you, oh, you froze there for a second. Uh, they, they also say that, um, you know, it, it, when you're eating this food and everything else like that, that you'll win more food. So when we won the food, yeah. there was nothing calorific within the food. So, for example, rice and beans, carbohydrates, with, when you put them together, they become a complete protein. There's not a lot, there's not a lot in there. So I said 89 calories, 100 calories, 200 calories maximum. Right? The crocodile feet, there aren't a lot of fat in crocodile. Well, you know, there's a bit of fat, but they're just protein and not great. Uh, loads of vegetables, carbohydrates, fiber, where there's no fats, there's no calories. So if you add that, and I put one of those meals in for the day, maximum on a day, I reckon I had 1,200 calories. That's what I was eating per, per day, give or take, you know, two or 300 calories at, 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 at best. And I was watching Adele, for example, who's already tiny, disappear. Right? I was watching like getting thinner. I was watching other people, you know, under eating. And the best thing is that a lot of the other campmates didn't understand, like for example, Cliff, and all these people are lovely, like I love them and I speak to them now, but Cliff was under eating the under eating food. He didn't like the food, so he wasn't eating anything, right? So he was obviously a big unit and was falling asleep while on, on like we reckon he could fall asleep on a clothesline because he had absolutely no energy. I was drinking 15 canteens of water a day, right? Of those water things, right? Because I have to hydrate, you know, I drink about five of these a, a day. I'm always sweating, not sweating, but always dehydrated and everything else. We, um, some of these campmates were drinking one a day. I'm wondering why they were getting like headaches and out of breath and everything else. So, and I was very active. The way I dealt with a bit of boredom and everything else was constantly doing stuff, trying to help people do stuff. Nobody knew anything about rugby. Nobody cared about me. I was the least known person on that show. So it gave me an opportunity not to have to be like bravado, loud, just be myself, be nice to people, be how I want to be doing all this stuff. But the more work I did, the more calories I was burning. To the point where day eight or nine, I was sitting in the throne and I started to have a panic attack, essentially. I was like, I couldn't stop thinking about food. All I wanted to think about was food. I was getting really emotional. And I was like, I need to eat, I need to eat, I need to eat. Please send the dinner, please send the dinner. I'm going to have a meltdown. Have a pan I've never had a panic attack. I don't suffer from anxiety. But I had to take myself off and speak to them. I'd be like, listen, you, you, you're not giving me enough food here. This is not enough food. This is 200 calories a day. Like, where, like, what are you doing? And they were like, well, you know, everybody's hungry. And the viewers at home go, well, everybody's starving. It's like, no, when you're big, you have a lot more muscle mass, you require a lot more fuel, a lot more glycogen, a lot more water. So it's completely unlevel playing field. And, and I said, the campmates were trying to give me food, but I, a, I mean, one of them kept saying, just take the food, take the food. And I was like, listen, I could eat all of your food and I'll just about be happy. And, and the point is, people are like, take it, take it, you're causing a scene. I was like, I'm not causing a scene. I'll just knock you all out and take all your food anyway. Just leave me alone. Like, eat your food. It's more important, just leave me alone. So people trying to be helpful, but it's like, it was just it just got a bit frustrating, and then I had and I had that day where, and the show was going really well for me apparently, and, I, and things were going really well. And I basically had a day Are where apparently because it is impossible for you to know when you're in there how you're being. Absolutely no idea. That's kind of weird, isn't it? That was the hardest part actually. The food and no feedback. Yeah. And you, and and what the weird thing is is that they they play with you, so they take you into the the, the bush telegraph and they ask you questions about events in the day. Thinking, oh, that's been in the show. That's interesting. That's gone in the show. That's going to show. Come out, night said it wasn't in there. Really? And I've never watched a minute of it back. You are the kind of guy that I think feeds off constant feedback. You're mm. always bouncing off someone or talking or interacting, and that's kind of what makes you buzz, makes you. Yeah, yeah but also I'm used to like Chloe going, you know, oh, I don't think you should have said that. That's not good. That came across really well. That's very interesting. I've, I've had nothing. You go, well, you know, I've had words with somebody. So, for example, I had... Oh, she popped her head in the door. Pop your head in. Hi, 
<laughs> How are you, babe? Very good. How are you? Good. Sorry to interrupt your podcast. I'm just telling you, I'm going into the gym to do a little walk thing. All right. Okay. I love you. Love I'll see you later. Love to love you. <laughs> that was my lovely wife. Um, so basically, I, I was missing out on that on that on that feedback, and, and there was a couple of occasions. So I, I always come from a team sport, right? Where Everyone deserves an opinion. Everyone has a has a word, has to have a, you know have their say. But end, at the end of the day, you have to make decisions. You can't go through like we're not wanting some sort of you know communist utopian thing where we because otherwise stuff never gets done. Yeah. So um, you know, there was an occasion where, for example, we got to have this feast, this you know to go and have this feast, and three people missed out on it, and basically. Roman was devastated that he let Ian down. You know, some a couple of camps said some stuff to him that had upset him, basically implying that he should have tried harder for Ian or he'd, he'd stitched up Ian. He felt terrible about it. Um, and then two of the new guys were in there. Basically, Andy was absolutely... You know, as a northern man, all he wanted was a roast. Like, right, lads, oh, I can't wait, roast, roast my favourite dinner. Like, living for a roast. So we've gone off and had this mega roast. So they don't show this again on camera. So as we've all finished the meal, I've sat down, and, and no one's made me leader, but I always... Always just how I am in life. I've just said, listen, guys, when we get back to camp, let's really underplay how good this was. Let's leave it. These other people are going to be starving. They're going to be hungry. Don't say anything, right? Andrew's eaten so much that he can't speak. And he's like, just going, like, like trying to be sick, like thinks he's going to be sick because he's eating. Um, Miles is gluten intolerant. So he's rushed straight to the dunny because he's eating a load of cottage cheese and all this other stuff that he shouldn't be eating. Cauliflower cheese even. Um, so we've got back to camp. And first thing Andy's like, mate, mate, how was the roast? How was the roast? I said, listen, it was all right, mate. It wasn't amazing. Well, what do you mean? Was there like this? I said, yeah, it was roasted. What was there? Um, was there gravy? I said, no, I want gravy. I bet it was gravy. Alliance. I said, no, 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 there wasn't. There wasn't gravy. Relax. Underplayed it. Went to bed. Woke up the next day. Andy going next. So what? You know, what else was there? Was there vegetable? It's going on and on and on until later on in the evening. Until Andy goes. Someone said there was orange juice. Because Andy was what was there orange juice? And I've gone, Andy, mate, stop asking about the roast. I said because it ain't going to do you any favors because it's done, it doesn't matter if we all had, um, you know, personalised birthday cakes. It's not coming back. Leave it. And, you know, Kate was like, well, we should just let Andy ask. I said, you can, but he's making other people who've missed out feel bad about it. It's not for the greater good. Let's just leave it. But things like that, when they're cut and edited, oh, James Hasco has a go at Andy, you know, Coronation Street darling. You know, Kate, Kate Garraway's trying to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, making every time we... Ordinarily, right, I was like women first and everything else. I understand that for feminists and for people, a, a woman's right to choose is not to be told by a man to go first, it's her right to choose wherever. Completely agree with that, do what you want. However, in the jungle, every single day, we have to go through the same rigmarole of, you go first, no, you go first, no, you have the food, no, you need the food. It is boring, tedious, when everybody's underfed and irritated, let's just come up with a system, girls go first, we're happy about it, on TV, me pushing Kate Garraway out of the way to eat food is fucking no good idea. Kate Garraway offering me her bed every night. When I take it, it's a, it's a lose-lose situation. That's why I slept on the floor for six fucking nights on, on a thing because I wasn't prepared to stitch someone up and do that. Um, so the, the, but when it's edited, you know, obviously ITV, they, they have the people that they want to kind of run a narrative with. And when they're done with you, they do that. But luckily for me, the, the, the reaction of my campmates saved me from what could have been a, a dangerous thing you know them crying saying that i was the keys to the camp the heartbeat you know everyone confided in me i helped them all basically yeah. so much so the sun ran a headline saying you know you know um so i'm a celeb fans livid they've been sold a wrong dream about james has you know all that kind of stuff which was great but did you did you feel a sense of injustice then in the way that you were portrayed because yes. 
there were a few there were a couple of headlines that I saw at the time about bullying that I just yes. thought could not have been further from the truth about you. Yes, I did. I, only because I, I wasn't aware of any of it. I was I was upset that I basically not managed to not have an opinion. So with the Kate and the and you know the 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 um the dingo dollar challenge where basically you know dingo dollar challenge is, is an a or b answer there's no there's no no need to, to debate it there's nothing that you can be debate we've got no reference points but every time we did it it was this long drawn out thing everyone's like trying to go well you know uh, the question was uh what percentage of adult males think or adults think that christmas is a wonderful time of the year right so you're sitting there and people are going well you know some countries don't celebrate christmas and it's like no 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 there's no fact, like, who's the audience? Who are we asking? Is it a bunch of Japanese who don't celebrate Christmas? We don't know what's going on. So I listened to it, listened to it, and I was lying there, and I was so tired. And I, they basically, there was like 10 people in, in a vote, and I heard them mess it up three times. I then went, right, whoa. <laughs> and I stayed sitting down the whole time, because I know I'm quite big. I know I'm come across as a bit intimidating. So I, I lay down, and I said, it's not that hard, guys. It's an A or B answer. How many people <laughs> vote for A? There's 10 people in camp. How many people vote for A, right? Eight people vote for A. How many people vote for B? 10. I was like, no, guys, it's 18 people. 18 people voted. Kate's gone, oh, sorry, I changed my mind. I was like, okay, how many people? A or B? Do it, do it two more times, and they get it right. And I'm like, right, boom, it's A, let, let's carry on. And everyone's like, well, we've got all the time in the world. I was like, that's not an excuse to sit around debating something that's undebatable and being stupid. I then stormed off and said, I can't be part of this circus of stupidity. I, I can't sit around debating all day a question that there's no end to it. And if you can't get a vote right with numbers, what are we doing? But then obviously this, the papers run out. Oh, Haskell calls campmates uh, stupid. Haskell bullies Kate. I was like, no, no. I spent my entire day talking everyone up, making sure Kate was okay, making sure everyone was okay, because that was, you know, that was important for me. That was what I, that's the only role I had in that jungle. So I, I loved it. I found it hard and it's very dangerous. You don't regret doing it. I don't regret doing it, but reality TV, as we've seen, is extremely dangerous. You mm. know, if they decide to, and I'm a celeb's better than most shows, if they decide to, to throw you under the bus, they yeah. can really, really end you and, and never get back. But, I, you know, I think it's a fantastic show and I was very lucky to be part of it and I really enjoyed it, but mm. I did find it very hard. Starving yourself to death and trying to control your emotions is, is very hard. Yeah, but also I think as a professional sportsman, you're used to being the amount of effort that you put in is directly commensurate to what you get out and it's just not the case with reality tv you are completely at the peril of the, the editor's scissors and whatever as you say the narrative that they've decided for you beforehand they can pretty much spin it any which way they like and you're a good bloke who was clearly popular in the in the camp but if they want to portray you as some sort of pantomime villain that that's that's what they're going to do because you're big and scary and Oh, just tell me one thing. You kept saying on the show, because I do need to get on to rugby in a minute, um, yeah. but <laughs> you kept saying on the show, if I am scared of something, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, yeah. So go on, what are you scared of? You can tell that. I'm tell scared me. of all of it. I hate my <laughs> spiders. Spiders are like rank, all of it. Like, I, I wouldn't pick up or touch any of that shit. I mean, snakes, actually, snakes don't care about, rats I don't care about. Snakes are care. worse. No, I I don't, honestly, the snakes are they're really dry. They're, they're easy, they're like rank. Spiders are vile. Um, cockroaches, I mean, crawled into what you call his ear. You know, that was like a, a terrifying. Um, but I mean, I just look, I've met people for, for friends for life out there, so, you know, Ian and Roman, and um, you know, I speak, speak to a lot. And, and you know, I've, I basically, we had a great year. Everyone got on, everyone was great. Obviously, you know, the media spun some narratives on Ian and 
me, and, and that was unfortunate. Um, but I know Bugs Wise was just. <sighs> I mean, I just wouldn't admit it because people were admitting it and getting stuck with it all the time. And I was like, I, I mean, the first challenge when they put me in that fishbowl and basically I ended up almost hanging myself because they said it, they said it was the right height. And I was like, it's not the right height. They're like, it's fine. It's not the right height. And so much so they were like, why are you only using one hand to do it? And I was like, watch what happens when I put two in and the whole box almost fell over. I was like hanging myself the whole time. So basically it wasn't built for the bigger gentleman. And I was the biggest contestant they've ever had on there. Um, weight wise and size wise so it was a bit nothing was built for the big sausage fingers as, as they were called <laughs> okay time for Bose's handy tips about how we can all cope a bit better over the next few weeks and potentially months um, under lockdown I think that's part of the problem isn't it we just don't know how long this is going to last and that lack of control over our own lives can let anxiety creep in but hopefully if we can all follow these little nuggets of advice, it may just help. Okay, first of all, take time for yourself to stay centred and sane. Number two, seize moments of calm. They may be few and far between, but they are out there. You just need to grab them with both hands. Number three, find your sanctuary away from the chaos. Now, if like me, your whole house is chaotic, then that might be hard, but there must be a little corner somewhere where you can take yourself off and just have a moment or two. Because remember, timeouts aren't just for kids. It's really important to take a little me time because it can go a long way. I know that sounds a bit selfish because I always feel guilty if I go off and read a book or listen to some music or have a bath, all three at the same time. But I think and hope that we all come back to our jobs in the house with the kids, with our family, as better mothers, better partners, more productive, if we have taken a bit of time out. Cabin fever is real. So one way to smash that oppressive feeling is to learn something new. Take up a new hobby, for example. Don't resist and fight the new norm. Embrace it. Shape it to suit you. For example, you could move rooms, change the layout at your home, create a new space dedicated to a new hobby. Make working for home work for you. Don't be afraid of the silence, if indeed it exists at any point during your day. It can be truly golden after all. Try to block out unhelpful noise and that will also reduce your anxiety. It's not where you work, it's how you work. So make it work for you with a little bit of help from Bose. Feel more, do more, be more with Bose. Okay, let's um, let's just cast your mind back a bit further now. Let's talk about, well, actually, let's cast it right back to your childhood and, and growing up and, and playing sport and recognising that you obviously had a talent here that could be turned into a career. Is that something that you were always destined to do, do you think? No, I mean, I never wanted to be a rugby player. It wasn't something that I had a burning desire to do. I actually wanted to drive a digger or be in the SAS. Um, but those dreams were shattered. Um, and then I basically got, I got into, I went to Wellington um, College and, and the rugby was quite competitive there. And a few guys, and I started doing some county stuff with my club and going through to trial for England under 15, under 16, sorry. And I didn't get in. I saw that as kind of a massive disappointment. And 
Um, my dad said to me, look, you can either see this as a big disappointment, you know, give up on your journey, or you can see it as a real opportunity to come back better and fitter in a year and a half's time and trial for England under 18. So a bit like a Rocky montage. I started training with a family friend who was a personal trainer. And while other kids were, you know, I don't know, smoking in the bushes and chasing girls, I was running up hills, you know, doing extra weight <laughs> sessions. Pardon? Running up hills, chasing girls. Running up hills, chasing girls. Um, and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff was was going along and it was uh it, it basically meant that the, when I came back a year I got into England under 18s and it showed me that hard work and dedication get you where you want to be and then once you're in that cycle of England under 18s I started getting approached by wasps did England under 19s um you know got a contract did a year with them uh, while I was still at school so I did a, a pre-season with them still at school so I played men's rugby and then went back to school which is amazing hanging around with Lawrence um I think I met you a couple of years after that actually um and um it was kind of an amazing really adventure and it was only when i started i did i defer my university entry to um to give it one go at one year and and 18 and a half seasons later i was still going it's amazing and when you reflect on your rugby career you know you've you've won so many honors within the sport what you retired would it this well about may last year was it yeah it was yeah exactly that yeah right. 77 caps all yeah. right yeah do you, do you feel like you got all you could out of it? Do you feel any regrets? Did you feel you left anything on the table? Um, look, I would have loved to have gone to the World Cup um, in 2019. Eddie tried to help me. I just wasn't able to, to do that. I think, um, you know, I wish I'd played for the Barbarians. I never got to do that. That would have been cool. I, I got picked to play three times, never allowed to do it, and, and was unable to was unable to be fit enough to, 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 to do it in the end. Because uh, that does always feel like a something of a bygone era. I mean, there's obviously a lot of kudos attached to that, but it's not, um, it's not a competitive fixture as such in, in this professional era, is it? Well, I mean, it's not, but it is for the Barbarians people. You know, they, they see it as very good. They want to continue doing it. So, you know, when they get these big performances and beat Australia and beat England, et cetera, you have to, you know, have to put in a big, a big shift and it's really important for them. Um, Why does it matter so much if you've never played together before? Yeah, because I think it's the opportunity, first it's the opportunity, well, it's, it's the heritage firstly, it's the fact that it's the only, it's a kind of a only no fixed abode rugby club in the whole universe. The amount of uh, amazing people who have played for it, the fact that there's such an honour wearing that shirt, this, this heritage, that you spend all week on the piss and you have to deliver and you get, you're looked after, and, you know, and they pay you, um, and it, it's kind of... It's really kind of important, and it's a chance to say someone like me to play with Richie McCaw or play with some other guys and get these opportunities that you wouldn't ordinarily get. And and for a guy who grew up, you know, not watching rugby kind of from fourteen onwards, it became a real important thing. The Lions, Barbarians, playing in a World Cup, representing your country, um, all of them were, were really important. It's the one thing I regret I never got to do. Like everything else, I couldn't have done more. I played around the world. If I'd had, you know. I wasn't particularly injury prone during my my career. I got away with it relatively unscathed, um, which just apart from a few niggles, I'm not sure what state I'm going to be in by the time I'm 40 or 50, but it's not going to look good. Is um, you know, I wish I'd got maybe more England caps. You know, I worked out I'd probably missed maybe about 40 games, which would have taken me well over 100. Wow. Um, you know, through injury or through being abroad a couple of times. So it would have been nice to have got that in a hundred caps to be able to stick two fingers up to everyone and be, and be happy no? yeah go on who do you want to stick two fingers up to I just think look I've always wanted these people that's um, not caught in controversy but just being myself being outspoken being uh, my own personality never pretended I'm, I'm not anything people love to hate me like on a house of rugby you know we get um, 
guests on every time and all of them say without a shadow of a doubt before I met Hask I wanted to punch him in the face uh you know and then I met him and he was the best team man the nicest guy with friends for life I had no idea I misjudged him so that's been his nature of my career you know I'm, I divide fans I'm like Marmite people love me they hate me I don't know why it's only because I've always lived my life to the full um you know I don't think I, I you know, people sometimes confu- confuse confidence or standing up and speaking or joking and take the piss out of your own self which I do a lot as as arrogance instead of mixing it with confidence or being good at certain things but not having confidence in other areas so it can be a little bit tricky sometimes does it does it does it bother you um when you're not because i noticed that you you talk back to trolls quite a lot which is good you call them out um i, I used to i used to weigh more i stopped now okay because well, you stopped because it's a form of trolling within itself to do that uh no i haven't thought about it i didn't think about it that much i was like listen it's like you know they, they say turn the other cheek i'm like that fuck off and take your head straight off um no it's more to do with the fact that chloe once pointed out she said do you think do you see the rock replying to trolls and i went no and she goes well you know you need to be above that you need to be better than them so i call people out on stuff sometimes but now i just block i'm quite vindictive so if i if someone puts a crap troll comment on and people have liked it i'll go and block all the people who liked it and then i'll block the troll as well Ooh. it's like so i just get rid of everybody and you get people going you know you get people writing to you and some people some people apologize but I just don't, I think, the, and it's a big issue, um, uh, you know, it's obviously brought to the head with, with you know, with Caroline, you know, RIP, is that, is that, is that she, uh, or, or the situation, the laws online should mirror the laws in, in, in the real world. There should be no anonymity online. You should have to register your national insurance number, your driving license, your passport. Because if I walk around uh, and I followed, I followed you around shouting, pinky, you pinky, pinky your dick, pinky your dick in real world, at some point, I'm going to get arrested for doing that. Mm. Not online. Not online. I can do that. If I if I went a nasty ping, I don't like you, right? And I can. I, I think you're entitled to say that. If I went on Twitter, I wrote nasty ping. I don't like you. If I copy you in on it and say I don't like you, well, that's a form of like abuse. You wouldn't do that in the street. I mean, some weird fans do. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're in the public eye, like I get it all the time, like, man, I used to think you were a complete wanker, but then I watched this TV show and you seemed you're all right. I'm like, thank you, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, I think they've got, those laws have dramatically got to change. It's a shame that coronavirus is, because obviously 
intercepted all of that kind of stuff and no doubt I get brushed under the carpet. Um, let's go back to your <coughs> to your rugby career. Um, you, you mentioned Eddie Jones there. I know he's somebody that you really got on well with. And I was just looking, I was considering those that you played under with England. So I'm trying to get it in the right order now. Would it, was it um, Martin Johnson first? Brian no, Ashton. Brian Ashton. Brian Ashton, then Martin Johnson, then Stuart Lancaster, then Eddie Jones. Yes. I take the, I'll take the two kind of high profile of those four, Eddie Jones and Jono. How would you compare and contrast their management styles? What was it like playing under them? Uh, look, I, I think um, they were completely different, completely different personalities, completely different requirements from each one. You know, I... I said this before. I think you know Martin Johnson was unfairly thrown under the bus in 2011. Uh, I think that if he had been allowed to come in, completely clear the decks, select his own coaches, own people, and everything else like that, and done something, built it from the ground up, I think he could have done some great, great stuff. He he didn't do that um, for whatever reason, for loyalty, for, you know, and, and, and everything else. And I think um, you know he was. Uh, you know, he was a guy that didn't have a lot of experience at international coaching or no experience at all and came in to take that job where you know, he was inspirational. He was a figurehead. You know, he was, he, he was, um, you know, but you need the strong people under Eddie, on the other hand, is very much, um, you know, when he st stands at the front of, you know, a meeting the, f the very first day and says, you know, we're number five in the world. Do you think we deserve that? I'm going to take you to number one in the world and I'm going to get you to a World Cup final. You know, because he's taken Australia to World Cup final, he's won a World Cup with South Africa, you know he's going to be able to do it. And he, for me, had the perfect balance of being task-focused and people-focused. He understood that the player's a commodity. You've got to build a relationship. You can't just be task-focused. You've got to build that relationship. You've got to create an environment that's all about winning. But not people talk about winning, and they, they write points on a whiteboard at the beginning of a meeting. Six months down the line, no one gives a crap about what was on there. You have to live the habits every single day. You have to make sure you get the right balance of personalities, people prepared to work. You know, Dylan Hartley was an unbelievable captain underneath him and did probably, you know, it, you know, Lawrence Delaney for me was probably one of the best captains I ever had. And Laura, in certain ways, Dylan's up there as well in other ways because of the way he led. And, you know, when you're in this generation, dressing people down is a, is a, you know, it's quite a scary thing to do. We don't have awkward conversations. You know, we, we do everything remotely, hide behind emails. Everyone's a tough tough man behind an email. It's difficult to tell you someone's face going, actually, this isn't going right. Um, and, and Dylan was fantastic at that with the players, organising them, getting them on, on, on board. Um, and they balanced out really well. But Eddie was, was light years ahead because he constantly reinvented himself, constantly reinvented the environment, was very clear about what he wanted, but built a relationship with the players, constantly wanted to help players be better. And um, when he talked about winning and doing stuff, you know, we did it. And, and everybody in that environment turned around after the first month of, of winning games and we're like, where's he been all our lives? This is the best environment we ever worked in. We don't need, you know, we need to be the best we can be because we don't want to lose this. And, and, and did he give you a bespoke approach? Did he recognise you as individuals? Yes, he did. You know, he, I, I was always very much like, um, a lot of coaches couldn't reconcile how I could work so hard in the training field, be the last off the training field with my work ethic, then still have a personality, still be loudest, gobshite, do whatever. Um, but Eddie wanted that, you know, Eddie was like, from the first, first moment we came on board, was like, you know, Hask, you're a really important part, I need you to do this, I want you to be a leader, and he, and he asked my opinion, he treated me like somebody who was there, instead of other coaches who were, who were very much like, you know, we want you to entertain the lads, you're an important part, but Christ, don't speak, don't do, you know, you know, don't really, you know, I had most caps at one point, I was never in any leadership meetings, never in anything, but all, as the, 
die young showed at was all i needed was someone to back me and make me a leader and i grew into that role and took the responsibility and i, I think i was a good captain of of um of wasps and then you know same with with england in terms of taking a leadership role i did what i could do and i i felt like i played a really important role in 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 that team um and i and, I, and the guys have said so when i went and see saw them in the world cup in 2019 on that final week eddie thanked me and, and you know and said that what a great role and that was nice it put the kind of ghost of me playing to england to rest the boys gave me a round of applause and i felt part of it you know yeah, I mean, that must have been really hard not to be there. That was like the ultimate. What, what are your kind of reflections on that defeat in the final? Um, look, I think it was really hard. I mean, I, I, I was, I found it very hard to watch out in, out in Japan. I had an amazing time. Tokyo is the best city in the world for me. I lived there. What a place. Chloe was out there. You know, we were doing House of Rugby. We were doing live shows. We were just having so much fun. Um, I think that... Uh, you know, if Eddie hadn't invited me in, I think it would have been quite hard. But I got to see it and I didn't go to the final. I had a ticket to watch the final. I didn't want to go because, you know, if I was sitting in the stadium, I would have liked to be sitting with the guys. And it would have meant that, um, you know, if they'd won, I wouldn't know what to do. If they'd lost, how do you console people after losing a World Cup final? So I stayed in a, in a bar around the corner uh, and I watched the game um, on TV. And then we did a live show. And, it, you know, South Africa played better than us. You know, England just didn't didn't get the game plan right or didn't operate as they would want to and and they fell short and I think what, what would Eddie have done differently well Eddie look Eddie's always good because he you know he says what he wants in the media because he people get so excited but he just plays the media for the puppets that they are you know you say anything and fans because fans have no rationality any sports fans football formula one whatever they're just like ah you know their player should always win their driver should always win uh, you know nobody should do anything sack fire on the drop of a hat and you know, when a coach says something, everyone gets mad. Eddie deflects the whole time, so nobody asks any of his players anything, and he carries on. He doesn't care. And when asked, why did he say it? Because I can, and because it's funny. You know, it, that's why. So Eddie said, you know, after the World Cup, I didn't prepare them well enough. I saw them training the week. I don't think they could have done anything differently. You know, they potentially went off script a little bit. Whereas South Africa are the only team that didn't deviate from their simple game plan the entire time. And it was, it was unfortunate because you know, I just didn't think we fired any shots. Our scrum fell apart, uh, which is one of, one of our key weapons. Uh, we kept getting penalised the entire time. The penalty count was completely different. We overplayed in the, in the, in the wrong areas. And international rugby and, and sport in general comes down to positive, positive versus negative chart. And every game, they wouldn't flow if there weren't negatives. You know, people didn't drop the ball. No one ever get it off them. But you've got to go you know, negative. Next action has to be a positive. South Africa went, you know, positive, negative, positive, positive, positive. We went negative, positive, negative, negative, one positive, get it, mistouch, positive. It was just, you know, those kind of things. And as, as they went up, we went down and you can't capture it. And then when they get, when they start flying and you're chasing the game, you know, people like Cheslin Colby come out of nowhere and finish a try that most people wouldn't be able to score, you know. Is it oversimplistic to say that we had peaked the game too soon? Look, I, I think when people say that statement, it takes for granted a, a lot. And it's what people said, are oh, we peaked? You know, there's no such thing as playing a game before a game. Because if you're physically all able and all your levels, and you feel great and everything else, the only side of the, the thing that would allow that to happen is your mental side. So basically what you're saying is we are not mentally tough enough to play a game one week and then not do that. But the guys are doing that all tournament. So I think the biggest work on for sports people in general is the mental side. It's massively neglected in professional sport. We spend all this money on trainers, surfaces, nutritionists, everything, but we spend little attention onto the biggest muscle in our brain, in our bodies, that, that our brain that we need to, to, to activate and use. So 
you know, if you're saying there was an emo, you know, emotional turmoil or toil from doing that, you know, they needed to work on that. And I think that's something that has to be massively examined in all sports, but especially with England, because there was no reason for that to happen. It, 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 you know, were they mentally prepared? You know, was there enough mental side of the game focused? Did they address it? Were they, you know, you, you don't need much motivation to play for a World Cup. They weren't tired. I watched them train. They were fit. They were hungry. It just, mentally, they just didn't get it right. And that's where the biggest work on for me is. Okay, that's, that's interesting. So in some ways, they did peak one game too soon, but probably because of their opposition. Because everyone had written them off against yeah. the Olympics. They just played exceptionally well, boosted the nation. Everyone thought, well, South Africa haven't got a chance. That was just sublime. Mm. And where do you go to from there? As you say, physically capable, but up yeah. there, not. I think, I think it basically in the, you know, what, what you should have done is basically address that, is that no, there should be no talk of that, you know, because it's not a thing, you know, it is not, it's not, it's not a thing. You know, why does it, you know, a lot of the time when people fail at stuff, it's down to the mental side of it. You know, yes, if your body lets you down, that's one thing. But, you know, you, you know, sometimes if you're about to perform, you're mentally in a good place, you're confident, your relationship's going well, everything's good, you feel a million dollars. Kids are pissed you off, your husband's annoying you, you, it, you go out and broadcast, you've got something in your mind. It, it, these things affect, it's not physically, it's mentally. And it's, and it's the team probably, I would have said, judging by what I've seen of rugby teams, and Eddie Jones does it better than most, but should have addressed the mental fallout of that game, beating the All Blacks in such a way. How do you then peak for that? Were players talking to psychologists? Was there that individual um, you know, a, a addressing of that? How do you peak for a final? What are we going to do? What's the atmosphere like? What's, you know, all these kind of things. Um, and making sure that everybody's as hungry and, and as, and as uh, you know, fired up to play against Africa. And I think they were because you don't need any motivation for the World Cup final. But if, you, if your negatives go against you, which they went in that first 10 minutes, it was just negative, negative from England, all mistakes. Mm. How do you get back a foothold in the game? And that's where your mental stuff starts playing tricks on you. And you need that mental strength to perform. That's so true. From the off, it just didn't seem to click. The, the, the rubber, the green, the bounce, the ball, whatever you want to call it. Is it true that they arrived late for the final? I don't know, actually. I just heard that rumour that they, they arrived half an hour late or something. It's sort of like there was a negative. Oh, really? I don't know. I don't know. That could be... I definitely know that. Oh, that's a great story if it is, Pink, because I don't, I, don't, I don't know. No. <laughs> Have I just made that up? You might have made it up, but I'll find out. I'll find out. In the Pink and Bows really want to help during this lockdown. Now, whether we can or not is another question, but we can try and we're going to do that by giving away some more Bose noise-cancelling headphones. To win them, just share mini anecdotes from your time in lockdown and give us some feedback on this series. Always put in the hashtag Bose and tag in a couple of mates to do the same, and you never know, those headphones could be yours. Good luck, stay safe, and stay connected. Um, and then looking forward to, where, where to from here for them? Like, are there any sort of bright stars that are sort of under the radar that, that you think, oh, hello, this, uh, the future's bright for English rugby? Yeah, look, I think the future's bright for English rugby. I think that I was astounded after England lost to France. I saw some comments like, you know, when is Eddie Jones going to apologise to long-suffering England fans? It's like, long-suffering? This is the second game they lost since they lost the final. What are you talking about? But that's what I mean, no rationality. Um, I think, to be honest with you, you know, Eddie Jones is in a great position. Hopefully they're going to extend his contract um, to kick on to the next uh, the next thing. Again, you know, the RFU are a body that... that 
you know, can panic a little bit with things. They don't like being controversial. They like to be whiter than white. You know, Eddie is controversial, you know, and people, you know, if results don't come, get tired of that. I think he's the best man of the job. The players absolutely love it and love him. Um, and there's no one else that can compete with him in my mind. I think players-wise, you know, so many of those players that played in the World Cup final are young. You know, still, that's the beauty. There's still going to be a lot of players, you know, that will come, that will phase out. I think... Um, Someone like Ollie Thorley, Ben Earl, these are young players. Lewis Ludlam, you know, at Northampton, these are young players, especially the back row that can come come forward and do good things. Ollie Thorley on the wing. You've got Owen Farrell still peaking. Um, you know, Mara Toji's only still about 15. There's yeah. a lot of guys still able to, to really perform. Billy V, you know, I mean, he's broken his arms more times than, than anyone I've ever met. But um, we, we reckon that the amount of money that Saracens were paying him, he's just going to get two metal arms. <laughs> yeah just like yeah, he said he's gonna be more man than machine yeah that's what it'd be like you, you you mentioned northampton there my hometown you obviously have a pretty brief stint at the club but yeah. what was that like and how did it compare to wasps well look you know i, I was obviously uh, you know unceremoniously dumped by wasps i didn't extend my contract didn't offer me didn't even talk to me about it just said that that we still don't hurt? pardon does that still hurt uh, yeah, look, I spent my entire childhood. It would have been great to finish finish there, but I just wasn't afforded that. I fell out with the owner um, because I basically was, you know, one of these people that spoke up against the p- bad training facilities, the bad setup, not being paid on time, you know, all the kind of excuses and everything else. And, I, you know, I was too much of a liability, so they got rid of me, um, which is fine. It is what it is. Uh, but Northampton took, you know, opened, you know, welcomed me with open arms. And to be honest with you, it was a real mixed bag with their fans. A lot of fans were like, shit, we don't want him. And, you know, sort of tweeting me, waste of money. I think they assumed I was going to be on massive cash. I wasn't. I was on, you know, the same amount of money I was on when I was 21. So, um, you know, it wasn't a big deal at all. It was it was um, all about going there and trying to play get for the World Cup. I loved it at Saints. I thought they were brilliant, brilliant facilities, brilliant club, amazing heritage, lovely people. Um, you know, I won some of the fans over. Some of them hate me, but they're always going to hate me um, because I was you know, because I am who I am in Northampton. It's kind of a, it's not a small town, but it's, it's town-based rugby, something I'd never experienced before where everybody knows about the Saints. Everybody lives and breathes it. But I, um, I loved it. I just wish I'd only got five games. I wish I'd been able to play more. I wasn't able to. My body gave up, um, but it wasn't for lack of trying. I tried my hardest, but, you know, I know I had an impact, um, you know, certainly on the field and off the field where, where it counted to try to help people. And, and that's all I wanted to do. Okay, listen, you've just talked about your body giving up. So just explain to me how and why you would go from such physical sport to arguably an even more physical one. Because I'm an idiot. Well, yeah. I mean, look, I didn't want to say. But MMA, and for those who don't know, uh, anyone living under a rock, uh, James is going to be competing in Bellator. Yes. It's sort of like the tier under the UFC, is that right? Would that be fair? Well, they're, they're actually, they'll be very upset with that. They are. Sorry, sorry, sorry. They are rivals for the UFC. Sorry, sorry, sorry. They're right there. Yeah. Okay, but MMA is obviously um, so many different forms of martial arts, mixed martial arts, and the rigors that that will, and the toll that will take on an already, I would say, damaged body. Yeah. Why are you doing it? Um, so I basically used to present a um, sh- show on BT Sport called Beyond the Octagon. I did about 30 yeah. shows um, yeah. on the UFC and I always enjoyed it. I'd always done uh, extra bits of boxing and um, 
you know, um, tackling technique, wrestling, all the little big bits and pieces about that that really helped me, you know, develop my tackling to what it was. And um, it was, you know, they called contact me and I thought they were going to offer me to do some commentary work. And then he offered to me to fight and I sort of laughed. I was like, ha, 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 like everybody would do. Then they kind of explained about the money and explained about the exposure. And then I started getting thinking that I love doing after speaking. I love talking about teamwork and leadership. But that's always from a team point of view. I suddenly become an, an individual sportsman. Uh, I'll be able to challenge myself, keep myself busy, keep myself fit. I went to London Shoot Fight. It's the best kind of um, gym in my mind in the UK for this kind of stuff. I'd known them since I was 17. They trained me and I'd said, look, guys, will you, will you do it? Is this stupid? They were like, no, we think you could do really well. So I agreed to do it. My wife cried, called me a dickhead um, and was like, I've watched you be in pain for the last three or four years. I've sat by bedsides, you getting surgery. I don't, I don't want to go through that again. I said, yeah, yeah, we had a chat and we did it my way. And uh, I decided to, to go and do it. And it's been the hardest uh, thing I've ever done. Uh, the mo most emotionally taxing thing I've ever done. Um, really enjoyable at parts, very scary in parts. Um, you know, it's taken a toll. I've been, I've torn my, I've torn my, my pec uh, the other day, which is not great. It's going to take me out for a bit of time, but luckily the coronavirus has kind of put pay to that anyway. So I think I'm, I'm training every day, trying to look after myself. Um, but I'm unable to do lots of things at the moment. Whether the fight happens now, I've got no idea. I think, look, you know... It was, it was due to be, what, in, London, in May yeah. in 2020, and, and you've got no kind of, I guess, like like all of us, we don't, we don't know when live sports going to be coming back. Um but you could have just gone for like some white collar charity boxing match to start with. Problem is though, charity starts at home picks. I ain't getting knocked out unless they're paying me a lot of money. And if I went to a white collar boxing match, the amount of people queuing around the corner to knock me out and watch me get knocked out would be huge. So I'm going to go out big and go for big money. And then, <laughs> and then we'll just go from there. God. Just on the, the lack of live sport at the moment. Um, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it, it will be taking its toll. We, did, we talked about mental health um, and, and the importance of um, tackling the mental side of uh, approach to sport. But just as a fan of sport, not having the escapism of live sport, how much of a toll do you think that's taking on the, the wider public globally? And, and, and what advice, if any, do you have for those at home who might be struggling? Because I, I think anxiety and cabin fever all these things are a genuine issues now. You know, we've only been in isolation here in England for a number of days, but it could go on to weeks or even months. So what advice do you have um, for anyone listening who might need a bit of help at the moment? So look, me mental health for me is really important. I I've been lucky enough. I I've always had uh, confidence issues around my ability, rugby and everything else. I've always reached out to psychologists, worked very hard to be the person I am. Um, but I'm, you know, I know people have got anxiety, stuff from depression. But this is a very difficult time because routine is essential to everything we do. When you have these 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 thought processes or these struggles, taking away a routine means you're left with your own thoughts. You don't have a purpose. A lot of time when people suffer from anxiety, depression, training, getting up, doing some activity puts all those thoughts at bay. Sitting down, you know, in in um, your house with the, just your voices in your head. That's when people, people can start getting back, you know, uh, caught up. You know, we joked at the start, spending extra time with your partner. You don't normally spend time. Kids driving you mad. All this stuff can push you. Sitting on social media, a, a toxic world, which I think in this instance could bring a lot of joy, a lot of benefit. People are doing great, you know, live DJ streaming, myself included, you know, trying to bring things to people's attention to keep people entertained. 
but too much longer, you know, toxicity will, will, will come about, people get trolled, and that can feed into it. So routine is the first port of call. If you used to wake up at work to go to work for 8.30, get up at 8.30, eat like you would eat, train, you know, take an opportunity if you've never trained before to start doing something simple at, at home or, you know, when, you know, train up with the kids. I know, you know, Joe Wicks, a body coach, is doing kids stuff. Chloe and I did a couple's workout today. Chloe's got home workouts. I've got a book, Perfect Fit, with eight weeks of training in there that you can do at home. All these things are important. Second thing is reach out and talk to people. You're not alone. You know, we've spent all of our lives designing everything so we don't ever have to leave the house. This is the stupidity of it. People are going, well, I don't want to stay at home, quarantine, right? You can't get them off their phones normally. You can't get them off their computers. You can't get them off the thing. And suddenly they want to row around the world. I need to climb a mountain. You're like, but you've never exercised before. Let me out of my house. I need to go and have a barbecue in a park. You're like, you're a dickhead. Just stay inside. Deliveroo, Just Eat, Uber Eats, Netflix, internet, FaceTime, Skype, emails. What, what, you know, what more do you need? Deliver your toilet paper, deliver your groceries. What more do you need? You know, it's interesting because you, you do want to feel connected and even doing this Zoom call with you is lovely because I can see you, I can hear you, I feel connected to you. But there's no substitute for touch. And yes. I think humans, we just crave touch. So it'd be nice to just give you a little head a rub. Yeah, my, my wife's, um, my, yeah, I, I like touching as well, Pinks, but I'm not allowed to do that anymore. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I, think, I don't think we realise until we've put into this situation, how much we crave yeah, of course. action and hugging and, but, but yeah, so they, they've got this new app, um, House Party. Have you seen that? I heard about it. What is this House Party app? Well, I've just joined it and I think anyone listening um, should, should, should get involved. You can get go on this app, House Party, and it's supposed to be a lot of fun. I haven't actually tried it yet, but Simon Lazenby's wife, Roni, um, suggested it. And so I've, I've joined it. I, at the moment, I'll be honest, I have never been so busy. I am now obviously cleaning the house from top to bottom every day because I live with someone with absolute OCD when it comes to cleanliness. Oh, really? Wiggy is obsessed with cleanliness. Yeah, but does he clean or is he just yes. obsessed with it? Yes, he cleans. Oh, right. He cannot cope with any level of mess. And obviously our cleaner doesn't come now. So I am now obviously two kids who he is training in the garden with at the moment so that I can do this podcast. Um, but obviously t homeschooling two kids and trying to do podcasts and we're trying to do links and things for Sky F1 because everybody's getting massive withdrawal symptoms. The fact that eight races have gone off the calendar already, which is a scary thought. So I, am, I honestly haven't been busier. I'm getting up at sort of 6, 6.30 every morning, passing out at 11 p.m. thinking, oh my God, what have I done with my day? I haven't left the house. How are you avoiding the not drinking? <laughs> oh, don't worry about that. I sneak one in. I feel like a little, I take a cheeky glass of wine. Wiggy's like, oh, I thought we weren't going to drink till Friday night. I'm like, no, 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 we're drinking, Keto. We are drinking. <laughs> that's, what, that's what happens to me. So I haven't drunk since the 27th of December. Two days in quarantine. I'm like, beer? Do you want a beer? Do you have a beer? I was like, I'll, I'll have a beer. Right. Every time Chloe pops her head around the door, she's like this. She goes, wine? I'm like, what? I said we weren't drinking the weekend. She goes, well, just do a glass of wine? I'm like, no, 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 no. We said we're not. And then I see her with a glass of wine. So, but yesterday was the first day. He's so judgy with me when it comes to that. He's no, he really judgy. He's like, are you, oh, I see you're having a glass of wine. No, but it's not, it's not judgy. It's probably because you said you weren't going to do it. And men hate it when you, when their partners say they weren't going to do it and they do it. I never said I wasn't going to do oh, it. Oh, well, fine. Well, then tell them to shut up then. Thank you. Thank tell them to shut up. But I do agree about the hugging bits and everything else like that. And, you know, it, it, I, I do understand that. Um, and I think you're right, exactly right. I've just, you know, my, 
every time there's a beautiful woman, I'm like, Chloe's like, James, stop hugging. I'm like, sorry, 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 sorry. You've been hugging her for 20 minutes. I'm like, sorry. sorry. Um, but no, I think it's important that touch, like, you know, because everyone's out doing the elbow touches and, you know, when you're walking on the street, I mean, I walked on the street the other day and, and someone looked at me and panicked and walked off the other side. I was like, fuck <laughs> off, I haven't got coronavirus. Relax. I tell you what, you may well have it. This is the other crazy thing. Have you heard about this whole uh, taste and smell thing happening? People losing their taste and smell? Yes. You well, forever? Well, I hope not, because we've lost ours. So obviously we can't test for corona. And, um, you know, hopefully maybe by the time this podcast goes out, they will have, test, you know, home test kits available. That's the biggest problem, obviously, is that we can't test. But um, one thing that happened to a whole load of us who had seen each other, um, obviously a big group of us went to Caroline Flack's funeral, and we all started saying, anyone else noticed they can't smell anything? Well, it actually started, started with Wiggy spraying some aftershave going, can you smell that? Because I can't smell it. And I said, no, 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 aftershave must be off. Now, I've got the strongest sense of smell. Yeah, mothers, I've got a mental sense of smell as well. Crazy, right? So I smell that and I go, no, 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 I can't, can't smell the aftershave. So we try a different one, spray a different, no, not that, not that, not that. Then my daughter wet herself. And I just buried my nose right into her leggings. Nothing. I went, oh my God, my sense of smell's gone. Anyway, long story short, I got a letter through from Sky News via SJ, Sarah Jane Me, And it said, one of the common symptoms of corona is loss of taste and smell. But if you're young and fit and strong, you might not get any other symptoms. And sure enough, there's about, I would say probably 10 of us have had exactly this. I've never lost my sense of smell or taste before in my life. So just something to bear in mind. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I know. I mean, honestly, Chloe and I just haven't been out. I mean, I went and got some physio. Saw Kevin Lidlow to go and get some physio because I had to my arm drained and to do some other stuff. I've not been near anyone. I'm very yeah. happy. So I've not had anything. There was I, had, I, had, I get hot all the time. And Chloe thought I had a day when I had a temperature, but then, but then nothing. Uh, you know, but then it was just I just like tired before bed. So I might I might have had it, might not have had it, but we haven't been anywhere, and I really haven't touched anyone really. <laughs> I've come a long way from those days. Can't just go around touching people. <laughs> Hask, it's been so lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Maybe we can, well, obviously, depending on how long this self-isolation lasts, we'll probably do this again. Yeah, fine. Re- I'd love to revisit it. It's always good to see, uh, you know, see your pretty face and have a chat and catch up, really. Yeah, thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you, James. Really enjoyed that. What a great communicator he is. You can just tell that after a rugby match he'd be one of those players that said exactly how he really felt none of these polished media manufactured answers Um, and that's why he's so good on podcasts so really enjoyed your company thank you so much for that I say company I had to make do with seeing you through a screen and this is the new norm for podcasts but it's great that we can still bring them to you so stay with us because we've got loads of great guests on the way Um, some which have been recorded pre-lockdown and some that have been recorded more recently. Uh, They include Shemi Olcott, Graham Swan, Johnny Bairstow, Daniel Ricciardo, Will Greenwood. Uh, We've got loads coming um, on the way for you. So please rate, review, subscribe to In The Pink. Let us know your thoughts on the guests that we've had. Let us know who you'd like us to get on. And don't forget that you can win those Bose noise cancelling headphones 
Um, tell us who you've loved, who you'd like to hear from. Always put the hashtag Bose. Also give us anecdotes about what you've been up to during the lockdown. And hashtag Bose, tag in your mates. Let's really build a community around this podcast because I love hearing from you and getting your feedback. And uh, it's so important right now, isn't it, to stay connected. So thanks again for your company. Stay healthy, stay safe, keep loving, and by all means, stay connected. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.